questions and answers. What was it like growing up as a Mormon woman? Many do not know that in Mormonism, men hold the keys to the celestial kingdom. Therefore, there's a lot of pressure on women as they seek to fulfill their Mormon mission in this life. What are the pressures Mormon women face as they seek to live lives worthy of attaining Godhood? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat will be interviewing former Mormon Lisa Brockman. She will share her story of how she came out of Mormonism and to faith in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, on to part two of Out of Zion, A Journey Out of Mormonism. So it was very much, I was conditioned not to question, and our belief system was structured upon a burning in the bosom, that truth could be determined by praying with a sincere heart about the things that we've read, and if it's true, we'll experience a burning in the bosom, which is a true, like it's a real experience. I've experienced it many times. So that was our basis for truth. And so the first time that I remember questioning was when I was a senior in high school. And my seminary teacher, which are classes that we would take in Utah, we got to take it as a class period off campus, and it's church education. And so I was in my seminary class, and my teacher dropped this bomb that I'd never heard in my life. And he said the Heavenly Father came down and physically impregnated Mary and I was horrified, and I just yelled out, that's incest, that's disgusting. Like, Heavenly Father's married to Heavenly Mother, and they birthed Mary in the pre-existing world. That's his daughter, and he physically impregnated her. I was totally spinning, and I couldn't contain it. And my teacher just said, well, there are just some things we can't really explain, and we just don't talk about them. So that was the first time that I was met with a question. Yes. And then the second time was that year I was talking with my mom and I was really wrestling with the whole idea of the practice of polygamy in heaven, which Mormons, Mormon doctrine teaches or prophets have taught that, that polygamy will be reinstated in the celestial kingdom. And I was really struggling with that as a senior in high school. So one day I asked my mom how she dealt with that. And she said, honey, there are just some things I don't think about, and it'll all make sense when we get there. And that was how we dealt with questions. We don't think about them, and it'll just make sense in Heavenly Father's plan when we encounter them. Yes, uh, that's one of the things you bring up in your book, that you are not called to question, but just to believe. And unfortunately, you know, that's the case for many Christians. You know, yeah. we are told just to believe and not to question when actually questioning is a good thing. And if you do have the truth, you should welcome questions and yeah. provide good, solid answers for the good questions that are out there for those who are beginning to question their faith. Absolutely. It's formed me into a mom who is so receptive of the questions. Mm -hmm. I had a daughter, my oldest was I think she was nine years old, and she's like, Mom, I don't know if I believe in God. I was like, that is fabulous. Let's just explore that. Do you want me to be on this journey with you? And she goes, nope. She's a real thinker and was always an old soul. And she's like, no, I need to do this myself. And I'm like, okay. And I just got to dialogue with her. And, it, I, and by the time she was 11, 
she knew God existed from her head to her toes. And I, I think that there's, be in Christ, there's no need to fear. And I think that's a huge difference when you're not in Christ and you're in a worst-faced religious system. There was so much fear. Mm, yes. Yeah. So, well, Lisa, those were the two initial issues that really got you to start questioning your faith. But talk us through now the journey of how you ended up discovering there's a big difference between the gospel of Mormonism mm. and what the Bible teaches. Walk okay. us through your journey here. Well, I ended up at the University of Utah and was on the tennis team. And my senior year of high school, I did rebel and started partying. And I still believed Mormonism was true 100%. And I knew one day, probably at the end of my college years, I'll turn my life around, do the repentance process, and make myself worthy of a temple marriage. So even though I was rebelling, I never doubted. Those two questions in my senior year, I just accepted there are things that we just want to understand this side of heaven and they didn't really linger with me so i get lined up with by a friend on the tennis team with a baseball player named gary and we went out for a month and he he was not walking with jesus but he knew his doctrine backwards and forwards and so we would party together and then just played together really well and he quickly became my god i definitely worship the ground Gary walked on and after we dated a few times we figured out he asked me my faith system and I said I'm a Mormon what's yours and he said I'm a born-again Christian and I was like what the heck is a born-again Christian I've never heard of one of those in my life and he talked about he explained that to me briefly and I didn't really have a grid for that I had not heard about relating with God in a personal way Today, Mormons use that language more. I had not heard that at all. And so I didn't really want to deal with it. And then Gary and I had dated about a month. And I remember being in his car, driving around campus. And I grabbed the handle to get out of the car to pick up a report card. And Gary said, Lisa, how do you know the church is true? And I turned to him and I said, because I've experienced a burning in the bosom to confirm that it's true. And I was armed and ready with my response, and nobody had ever asked me how I know it's true before. And he said, how could you entrust your eternal destiny to an emotional experience in your body? And I was like, well, that's the way you determine truth. And then he he continued to ask me really challenging, legitimate questions, like how do you know Joseph Smith is a true prophet of God? Because I've had a burning in the bosom to confirm it's true. I know he is. Again, Lisa, how can you determine a true prophet by that standard? How do you know he's an authentic prophet of God? How can you defend the historicity of the Mormon church and Isides and Ossides? And I was completely blown off my rocker and never thought about these questions in my life. And as he asked one question after the next, what had felt like this firm foundation turned to quicksand beneath me. I just felt like I was in a free fall. And so Gary and I, I was like, I don't want to talk about this. And so we waited about a month, and then he just said, let's do a Bible study. We hold the Bible in common. I believed it as far as it was translated correctly. He believed it to be the inerrant word of God. And for me, it was very fallible. The Book of Mormon was definitely the word of God, but it was a common book. So we began Bible study together. And 
the first Bible study talked about the nature of God being God is from eternity to eternity, unchanging. God is spirit. Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are one God manifested in three persons. And my world felt like it was blown to pieces because I thought the Bible taught our vision of God in Mormonism. And I fought Gary and fought Gary, and that was where it began. And it just felt like it was completely upside down from what I believed. And then the next Bible study, would we would talk about the nature of people. And he showed me where the Bible presents that people are sinful and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And I had presented that we have a divine nature because that's what Mormons believe. And so it was one doctrine after the next as the nature of God, the nature of people, the biblical plan of salvation versus the Mormon plan of salvation. As we did Bible study together, we would fight and fight and fight. And we did that for five months. We just fought. So that's where it began. And I was determined to convert him to Mormonism. And he was determined to introduce me to a Jesus he believed that I'd never met. Yes. And, you know, in dialogues I've had with Mormons, that's a great place to start to show that there really is a difference between the God of the Bible and the God or gods uh, taught in Mormon doctrine. And, mm-hmm. and then the nature of man is a great place to start, that we have finite created beings, and there is one God, and we will not become one. You know, and yes. uh, were, there, were there some good passages you remember that really were significant to you in studying those two doctrines? Well, John 4.24 just hit me like a brick wall that says, God is spirit. And I fought with that. I was like, it doesn't say that. Show me where it says that. And when Gary showed it to me, I never read it like that because the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, which is what we adhered to as Mormons, it's rephrased that whole verse, and it takes out God is spirit. And so I was absolutely dumbfounded. And so that was a significant one. And then... Verses in Isaiah, I don't remember exact ones, talking about how there are none before me, there are none after me. Those Old Testament, some verses about God being the only God. I don't remember all those passages off the top of my head. Yeah. So those, that was a really significant, though. John 4.24, I could not contend with. I didn't embrace it for five months, but I couldn't <laughs> contend with it. And then Ephesians 2.8 and 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Our passage talking about grace, and this is the only context I've ever heard grace used, was it is for by grace we are saved after all we can do. And so I didn't know about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. If I was an adult and going through church education, I probably would have been introduced to it at some point, but... I just, heart, I mean, I lived and breathed and we're saved after all we can do. And so the emphasis was always after all I can do. Yes, and I think the verses you were referring to are, you know, in Isaiah 42 through 44. For example, Isaiah 43, 10. Uh, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Yes. Why would that yes. be significant to a Mormon? 
man, that just flies in the face of their whole vision of God and and their mission. Because their mission is to exalt into gods and goddesses. And they'll use the terminology in the temple, kings and queens or high priestesses, but their plan of salvation is to become, is exaltation, it's called. Plan of exaltation. So that just confronts, right, nips in the bud, their whole vision of God, what they're created for, and what they will become. Yes, and according to Mormon theology, there are many gods, like, you know, our God, who were once men who through their good life attained godhood. And our God is not eternal. He has a beginning. He was also God on another planet. Through his good life attained godhood as well. And when the verse is, no God before me was formed, nor shall there be any after me, as you stated, uh, flies right in the face of of Mormon theology. Mm -hmm. Explain to us, so you went through the difference between uh, nature of God, nature of man, nature of salvation. Did you discover a big difference between the Mormon Jesus and the Jesus of the Bible? Oh, yes. Yeah, I read More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell as an introductory book into apologetics. And the Jesus of Mormonism was birthed from Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother in the pre-existing world. And he's the brother of us all, literally, because we were all birthed from them as spirit children. And Lucifer, or Satan, was also one of his brothers. And so... We all came to this earth as, like, we're all kind of co-equals, but Jesus was special. He was the firstborn of all of us, and he's the Savior, enabling us all to overcome the grave. But I never had this reverence for God. It's like God was brought down to man's size, and the man was exalted and would be into godhood. So there was never this awe that I possessed. Yes, and so you're beginning to see big differences between Mormonism and biblical teaching. Well, yes. What was it then that finally got you to say, and how, mm-hmm. you know, and, and tell us how long, yeah, I'm sure it took a while, but what was it that finally yeah. allowed you to say, you know what, this church cannot be true and the Bible true at the same time. I've got to choose between one of these two. First, I needed to read Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. I needed to read Apologetics for the Bible because the Bible was clearly teaching significant differences in major doctrines, but the Bible was not not infallible, in my opinion. And so that's where I began, and as I wrestled through those books and saw how much evidence there is for the Bible and all the manuscripts and historical sites. Things that the Book of Mormon, as I researched it, didn't possess. After about five months of my search, I began to accept that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. And I remember that being a breaking point for me, because once that happened, then it was like peeling an onion. Like one doctrine at a time, I could begin to accept. So then when I embraced the Bible as the Word of God, I also could embrace that my nature is sinful and not divine. And I need a Savior, not just to help me overcome the grave, but to give me eternal life. I cannot make, there's nothing I can do to make myself worthy of eternal life with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So 
It was one doctrine at a time over the next four months, I would say, and then I read a book, so I'm nine months in, and I had a book called Beyond Mormonism, and as I journeyed one day with that author, his name's Jim Spencer, I just felt like I was standing in solidarity with somebody who had walked the path that I'd walked in so many ways, and back in the 80s, before there was an internet, people were not leaving the church. And so it was a very lonely journey. I didn't know anybody else who was questioning like I was, and I certainly wouldn't have offered it to anybody. So I just had my boyfriend Gary and myself and all my books. And I was still living at home because my parents lived blocks from the university, so that was a tension in me. I just had all sorts of books under my mattress. And I read that book, Beyond Mormonism, in one day, and at the end of that, I was just on my face telling God, I know I need Jesus. The Trinity was so bizarre to me. I still, as I wrestled through that, it was always a wrestle because people were describing the Trinity to me as an egg, like the white, the yolk, the shell. That's God three in one. And I was like, you're God like an egg? I just had such really poor, somewhat heretical interpretations of the Trinity. So I just was, that was a stumbling block for me. But I had accepted my nature. I had accepted the biblical plan of salvation and other major doctrines. And so I'm on my bed face down. I was like, God, help me understand you. I know I need a savior, but I just don't get you. And then God just pulled back like a curtain and gave me a vision and Jesus was on the throne and he was just surrounded by a sea of people worshiping holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come over and over and I'd never read Revelation 4 when I did later I was just blown away and so as I I was it's as if I was observing this but I was also in it in the vision and I began to weep, and I was like, okay, I don't grasp you, but I think that's the point. You're that holy, and at the same time, your holiness draws you near to me. And yes, Jesus, come into my heart, and he walked me into his kingdom that day. And tell us what it was like for you to receive the Jesus of the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm, I... I felt like Jacob, where I truly wrestled with God for nine long months. And I came out with a limp, but I came out with a heart so aflame for God. I had never known a God who is holy, perfect, always has been, always will be God. It was, there was a reverence and an awe that I had never possessed for God. And that filled me. And then the other thing, that, the other aspect of God that was so transforming is that my, my lifestyle did not change right away. I had lots of addictions that had formed in my body where I'd sought life outside of Jesus and comfort and security outside of Jesus. And alcohol and my relationship with Gary were two of them. And so it's not like I woke up and I was like, done. My life is now going to be clean. It took about 14 months for God to wean me off of those, just bring deep dissatisfaction for the things I was seeking life from outside of Jesus. And what was so different 
been my experience with the Mormon God is that I would go out and party, but I didn't want to anymore. But it's like I couldn't resist it. I was definitely, I would say, enslaved to these passions. But Jesus was always there with me. I was very aware. He hasn't left me. He's made me worthy. And even in this state of darkness and brokenness, He's found me worthy because I'm covered in his righteousness. And the next morning, he would be with me. And there were just interactions where I would want to put back on my cloak of shame, and he would remind me that's been removed. And that was a very transforming 14 months. Yes, you know, a lot of people who come out of the kingdom of the cults, whether it's Mormonism or Jehovah Witness or any other group, they sense a big relief like a weight has been lifted off their shoulders because oh, yeah. uh, they are saved by grace through faith on based on the finished work of Christ not the performance that we have to do but yes. that Christ has already done and so I hear you describing that sense of relief as well like a tremendous burden was lifted off your shoulders oh it was it was night and day it now, was night and day uh, yes now, Lisa, you know, leaving the Mormon church is a very difficult decision for anyone because entire family and your social structure, your friendships, everything you grew up with, you know, is in that church. Uh, tell us, mm -hmm. you know, eventually you had to tell your family. Tell us about that experience. Well, I was terrified. On my 21st birthday, which was December 20th of my junior year, I really surrendered all of these addictions to the Lord, and I just asked him to clean my heart, to take away these addictions, to release me. And, oh, I fell asleep, and I awoke an absolutely released person. It's like he'd done a heart transplant and a brain transplant overnight, and I just wanted to be with these people who worship this God. And I'd gone to crew a couple times, and... My boyfriend had taken me there, and Gary and I had broken up. And so I went to a crew Christmas conference six days later in Oregon, and there I just knew I want to do this the rest of my life. I want to tell people about this God the rest of my life. And I had not told my family I was a Christian yet. So I came home, and I just knew I have to do this. And I made an appointment with my parents and took them to a little tiny Japanese restaurant to do anger management and it just I was terrified and I just thought I need to be in a public place where their responses where I can manage their response somewhat and so all I like I knew Mormonism backwards and forwards and I knew the biblical plan of salvation I was not an expert on all things biblical at that point at all neither am I now but really remedial then. So I remember partially through our lunch, I just looked at my parents. I said, well, mom and dad, I need to share something with you. I've placed my trust in Jesus Christ alone for my eternal life. And that's all it took for my mom to scream, you've left us, you've left the family. And she began to weep. And then my dad started talking doctrine with me and scripture. And it was extremely traumatic for all of us because my deepest joy was their deepest loss and my mom just wept and wept and wept and then that began a several year journey where I cried a lot it was just tumultuous my mom became extremely depressed 
and every interaction I spent a lot of time with family like I would go out with family every Saturday night we'd have Sunday dinners together and I just was walking on eggshells I never knew when that lid was going to come off We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website at evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there on the homepage. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from A to Z, from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Yeah.